Welcome to another episode of the Good Listening To Show, your life and times with me, Chris Grimes. The storytelling show that features The Clearing, where all good questions come to get asked and all good stories come to be told. And where all my guests have two things in common. They're all creative individuals and all with an interesting story to tell. There are some lovely storytelling metaphors. A clearing, a tree, a juicy storytelling exercise called 54321, some alchemy, some gold, a cheeky bit of Shakespeare and a cake. So it's all to play for. So yes, welcome to the Good Listening To Show, your life and times with me, Chris Grimes. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we shall begin. Oh, yes, indeed. How seamless was that? So welcome, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, to another very exciting episode of the Good Listening To podcast, Your Life and Times with me, Chris Grimes. And I'm delighted to have here in my old Zoom hole and in the clearing where all good questions come to get asked, that you'll find, and all good stories come to get told, the very lovely bearded, majestic, awesome pants that is Matt George's, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, thank you, Chris. It's nice to be in your Zoom hole. <laughs> and thank you for riffing on that with me too it's a pleasure to have you in my zoom hole as they say we'll both be revealed, relieved to know that the whole podcast is not called welcome to my zoom hole but thank you for indulging me so uh, yes you had me um we, we we did our own live version of your podcast last week and this is by way of reciprocity matt george's ladies and gentlemen is an environmental economist He's on a cheeky bit of gardening leave at the moment and is, is setting up his own business uh, in being a consultant in the same terrain, I'm imagining. Is that the case? It is, yeah. So um, the new company I launched only yesterday, the day before, called Orbital Economics. And we, we I mean, it's me, let's be honest about this. Um, I just do environmental economics work, which is essentially trying to work out the value of the environment and the best way to protect it. And indeed, you have had an illustrious career as a very, very strategically important individual within the Environment Agency, advising <laughs> the government. You know, and I, I was following you on LinkedIn for quite some time. Uh, I, I will riff more about how I know you as well, because you were very mm. kind and generous many, many years ago. It's 2006. I was doing a sort of facilitative day uh, for a company I used to be a part of called Barking Productions. And you were a delegate at an Environment Agency event. Mm. And um, we, we got on quite well. I was doing actor role play with you and facilitating. And then uh, you then knew that I was making a short film called Knock Knock. And you, you decided of your own volition because I needed help because it was a, calling in as many favours as I could. Um, you took two unpaid days leave in order to come and be a runner on my film. Yeah, so it was so so much fun as well, actually. Um, clearing up fake sick, I remember I enjoyed that quite a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was it was fantastic. Just just being part of something that creative and energizing. You know, everybody there was um, was very much up for it, and it was good fun. Yeah. And indeed, I've forgotten about that. Of course, there was there was the need to get you to do all the glamorous jobs very very quickly. Um, so <laughs> thank you for reminding me that we did have sick in a stairwell. If you, if you want to watch Knock Knock, it's a dark comic short about an addict with a difference and a dealer with a twist. I have riffed mm. about it on Facebook and a little bit in the podcast space as well. But anyway, Matt George was very, very lovely because he did of his own volition, just volunteered to help. And I'm very grateful to you for that. And then um, our paths have crossed. You know, we've, we've known about each other on LinkedIn. Uh, and indeed, uh, recently you got back in touch because you wanted to ask me. And I was very flattered if I'd be in your podcast called Serendipity Soup. 
Yeah, well, I mean, this this is where the serendipity comes in, isn't it? Because, you know, 16 years ago, it, weirdly, it was 16 years to the day when we did the interview because it came up on your phone, didn't it? And, and, you know, I'd only done that because I was interested in what you were doing and found you entertaining and of great value. So I thought, well, I'd like to be involved with somebody with this kind of energy. And so, so we did knock, knock. And then, as you say, every so often, we kind of bump into each other again. And then through LinkedIn... I saw that you'd um, you'd moved into other areas like um, your coaching work, especially. Um, I went to see you do your improv show, Instant Wit, which um, I love. And and so we were saying, weren't we, that we kind of keep bouncing. You know, there might be a few years in between, but we kind of keep bouncing back together again. And so I saw your podcast and I listened to the one that you did with your dad, which was so so good. It was it was very empathetic and very well done and um your dad's he's a great character isn't he he's he's a lovely fella and so I thought oh I wonder if Chris would would come on my podcast because I know your podcast is much bigger than mine if if we're comparing sizes (laughs) no not necessarily (laughs) (laughs) so um without getting too phallic about the whole thing I was I was a bit worried but you've been so so generous and you, you came on and and we had a really good natter, basically. Well, our, our combined philosophy in life, you know, you know, mine is to say yes more because of my comedy improvisational love of the mindset. Mm. Yes, and so of course I'm going to say yes. And also, this whole new terrain of podcasting for me is is fairly new. I know it is for you too. And mm. you know, just to blow a tiny bit of smoke straight back at you, um, <laughs> I thought Serendipity Soup had a really interesting premise to it. So, do you want to just tell us a bit about Serendipity Soup? Yeah, well, the idea was the idea came to me when um, a few years ago, maybe a year or two ago, it must have been pre-pandemic. We um, we had one of those kind of motivational talks from the guy who was in not the SAS but the SBS, the Special Boat Service, which is the Navy's equivalent of the kind of commandos. And he was everything that you might imagine, you know, a very kind of bare grills character where they do that understated. Yeah, so, you know, jumped out of the plane, broke uh, all my legs, uh, but, you know, <laughs> so, it's all fine. And it was a bit like, mm, okay. Um, and what interested me, though, was that he was saying, so this was a success tour, but by his own admission, only about 5% of the people who go through whatever, goodness knows what they have to go through to get into the specialist forces group, they had, only 5% of them make it. And yet, but these aren't like you and me off the street. These are already trained soldiers. And then they're going this other level up and only 5% of them make it. And I was thinking, what lesson has that really got for all of us? You know, and and the more I thought about it, and I asked him that, um, (laughs) uh, which was a bit of a terrifying question, but he he didn't get it. He, He didn't understand where I was coming from. And I suppose what I was interested in was what what happens to the 95% of people who go for this, who presumably work just as hard as he did, dream just as big as he did, but didn't make it. Because that's kind of like most of us, isn't it? You know, we all have big dreams. I wanted to play football for England, you know, and that didn't happen. And, And we all have big dreams, but most of us don't make it. And so this is the idea of the antidote to the Celebrity Success Podcast, which is, well, you know, most of us don't have this career that kind of, all right, there's some bumps, but eventually you reach this kind of promised land. Most of us are kind of bouncing around all over the place and, and making it up as we go along. So I really wanted to speak to people who'd, who'd had that kind of experience. And um, 
you, you were a great example of that, Chris, with all the different ways that you kind of riff off this sort of central idea that you have of kind of what you want to do, but then it, it kind of flips out into all these different career paths that are kind of really interesting. So lots of people like that, really, that I like talking to, and um, I find it fascinating. And it's this notion, as we all know from from experience and hindsight, success is something that's relative. It ebbs and flows. It changes. It evolves. Mm. It changes. And, you know, we were talking about this. And again, you were very generous in the space that you created within your podcast. But we were sort of riffing on the theme of life being a wicked mess and how Mm. um, it's pretty chaotic. And we expect the sort of linear progression of a graph of career trajectory to just be a straight line. But it's sort of a a big bowl of spaghetti that's blipped on the floor because we've been all over the shop. But the good news is we're the right way up today, which is the important thing. <laughs> well, for now, for now we are, Chris. Yeah, which is which is all you can really ask for, isn't it? As you know, also, Matt, I'm pulling what we're talking about into the UK health radio space as well. And I hope you don't mind me just mentioning, but you're free to riff on this as much or as little as you like. You've also had your own relationship to mental health over your adult life as well. Um, again, that's relatable to me. You know, I'm 59 next week, but my when I was 42... I, I like you. you think yeah, you, okay. Remember the joke, I, I don't look 59, do I? Uh, you did once. No, but you're being very <laughs> kind. But but I say it's relatable because I think I even mentioned in your podcast, when I was 42, mm. I had my year of the wibble when I was more anxious than I ever remember being in all of my life. And so my relationship to mental health is, you know, I'm attuned very, you know, very acutely when people say they're anxious because I now know what that feels like. We, we don't have to major on that, but this is just a lovely invitation and an invocation to go wherever you want. Um, and reconnecting with you, I was very struck with, you know, as a fellow, you know, wonderfully emotionally intelligent human being, you two have got a really interesting story to tell. And the universal truth within what I'm trying to achieve is all my guests have two things in common and you eminently, eminently qualify for that. Is that, you know, it's creative individuals with an interesting story to tell. And indeed, it's a pleasure to have you here. Oh, thank you, Chris. I, I must admit, I was slightly terrified by that, you know, that introduction that in, in, you know, with the music at the beginning and it's saying creative person with a fantastic story to tell. And I was thinking, oh, <laughs> I'm going to have to up my game here, aren't I? And the, the idea also is that everyone's got an interesting story to tell if you give them a good listening to. And, and mm. I promise you, this is going to be a, a really delightful episode because of that. So if I may, I'm going to then bounce you along now the storytelling uh, metaphors of the Good Listening To show. We're going to talk about a clearing. We're going to talk about a tree where you've been kind enough to think about the apples that we're going to shake out of the tree. This is your responses to the 4321 exercise. We've got a squirrel in there and then we've got some alchemy, some gold, a cheeky bit of Shakespeare and a cake. So it's all to play for. Hurrah. Mm, lovely, <laughs> lovely, lovely. And feel free, by the way, at the very end, we'll, we'll, there'll be a deliberate invitation to, to go, you know, tell us specifically where to go to look out for the Serendipity Soup podcast as well, because it really is a, a very worthwhile listen, I think, as well. So uh, let's get you going. So where is what is a clearing like for you, Matt George's environmental economist and podcaster? Where do you go to get clutter free, inspirational and able to think? Yeah, I so I thought about this and I'm afraid I'm, I'm quite a literal person. Um, I thought your dad had a, had a much better response to this question, but <laughs> I do, I do go to nature and the years ago, years and years ago, I was listening to a lady called Solitaire Townsend, who is the chief exec of a company called Futera who do um, environmental and climate change communications work. 
and um, Solitaire is is fantastic. For a start, she she gave us a talk and said, with a name like Solitaire, I could only work in PR and comms. And so you think, well, bless her, you know, she's um, <laughs> just that kind of self-deprecating humour is is very good. But she she asked a question. She she said to her audience, um, close your eyes for a second and imagine you're somewhere peaceful, somewhere calm, somewhere where you can be yourself and, and just take some time. And then she said, okay, you know, everybody open your eyes now. Now, can you put your hand up if the place that you were imagining was man-made? Nobody did. Everybody had imagined a place in nature. Obviously, different places. Somebody had been on the beach. Someone was in a forest. But it was all, literally, 100% of the audience had imagined a natural place. And that says a lot about the importance, and obviously this is the point she was making, the, the, the importance of the environment and nature to us as, as humans. And so, yeah, when you talk to me about what's my clearing, you know, where do I go? Um, I'm very, very lucky. I live reasonably close to the River Thames, and I walk along the river. And um, it's, a, it's a very, very peaceful, well, that's, that's not quite true. During the summer, it's, it's not peaceful at all. But it's, it's nice seeing other people enjoying that environment too, even if um, they are being pretty loud and drunk about it. At least they're having fun and they're enjoying nature and they're being in it. So that's where I go. I walk um, down by the river. Lovely. So we're talking about a very specific stretch of um, tributary of the Thames. So, so if you want to name where the geography is, I'm going to turn up with, with a tree in your clearing in a moment. Oh, OK. So we're down by Teddington Lock which for this, this might appeal to you, um, for Monty Python fans is where there's a tiny building um, that they did a sketch, which I've never seen, but I've been told that there's a sketch because uh, Teddington Lock has this tiny building that's, I mean, it's about as wide as my shoulders and, and yet it's a perfect little house. And obviously Monty Python got really obsessed. The guys got really obsessed with this place and based an entire sketch around it. So a little bit of comedy history for you. Wonderful. Is this the fish slap with Michael Palin and I think it was probably Eric Idle bouncing up and then slapping each other with a fish and then one of them falls into the lock? It, yeah, I think it was. Yeah. I love that. So can we we're, we're there with, mm-hmm. with, next to Michael Palin in the fish slap. I love that. Oh, that would be nice. I and would he, like to see that. Yeah. Wonderful. There's just a lovely skip and a dance and then a slap with a fish and one of them goes plop into the into the Teddington lock, which is just great. Mm. <laughs> So there we are. I'm now going to arrive with your tree um, to shake your tree now to see which storytelling apples fall out. So you've been very kind also to think about four things that have shaped you, three things that inspire you, two things that never fail to grab your attention. And this is where my squirrel comes in, borrow from the film up. It's a bit, oh, squirrels, you know, what never fails to grab your attention. And then a quirky or unusual fact about you, Matt George's um, environmental um, economist, until you tell us. Um, you don't have to keep majoring on the work side of stuff, by the way. I, I just keep mentioning the title to remind listeners who we're listening to. So right. there's a deliberate invitation to go as deep as you like, wherever you like. But over to you to shake your tree and crunch on your storytelling apples. <laughs> so who do are we starting here with things that have shaped me? Is that, is four that things, where I start? Yes, if you like doing it in that linear way, four things that have shaped <laughs> Yeah, well, I am, I am, I'm quite a, I am a bit of a stickler for the rules on these things. So, um... I'm one of those people, if you give me the instruction, I will follow it. Um, so you've said start with four, so I will start with four. Um, so things that have shaped me, uh, yeah, as you say, you gave me a bit of time to have a think about this, but not too long. So I did my best just to kind of 
just see what popped up on top of my my brain. And the four things that came up were um, probably were linked to uh, the fact. So I um, I have a weekly therapy session, which is to help me, as you say. Um, I um, had um, I guess you'd call it a breakdown. It was never diagnosed as such, but I um, I just kind of hit the wall. 10 years ago actually it's coming up to 10 years ago um christmas 2011 and there were lots and lots of different reasons for that um some of them work related some of them home related and it all kind of turned into a big old mess and i was after that diagnosed with moderate depression which um is, is slightly scary because it makes you wonder what on earth severe depression might look like but anyway and, you know, I've recovered over time with a lot of help from the NHS and a lot of help from my uh, my wife, especially, who's had to put up with an awful lot from me and has done and has helped me. Um, but, yeah, so so I get therapy and the therapy is there to kind of help me work through some of these things. So the things that, that it's kind of helped me work through are, are, are really around... Um, a lot of the uh, a lot of the stuff from when I was younger, which you, you'd expect. So what what has shaped me? My, my school shaped me. The the school I went to. So um, uh, I went to Birkenhead School, which is a private school on the Wirral, um, uh, which is kind of Merseyside near Liverpool for people who don't know. Um, and it's quite uh, an odd place. You uh, the Wirral is very divided. Um, you can draw a line kind of down the middle of this peninsula. And on, on one side, you have some very, very wealthy parts. And on the other, you have some of most of five communities in the country. And so um, there's, there's a big element there of fitting in. Um, so if you're walking down um, a, a pavement wearing a private school uniform in Birkenhead, you you've got to be kind of reasonably aware of your surroundings and who's around you and and what they might do um and so uh and and within the school itself i think i would liken the school to um a kind of milder version of a prison in the sense that you always there was always the immediate threat of physical violence from from other other lads basically from other inmates <laughs> from other inmates yeah <laughs> now and so so a lot of the stuff that I'm unlearning now is stuff that I learned at that school which is how do you how do you uh protect yourself and uh get around in an environment like that um so I'm not a particularly strong person you know um I'm I'm quite slim um I'm see I just thin even you know a bit of a beanpole when I was at school so physical force wasn't wasn't an option and so the way that I coped with that was a kind of mixture of um fading into the background and also making friends you know um so and and also the kind of classic um is it gamma wolf you know alpha beating gamma um where yes. the, where you it's the, you, the use of humor is is a very good way of kind of getting around those sorts of situations so there was quite a lot of that that's very relatable by the way i had a similar 
did you call it gamma wolf? That's a lovely way to, to not go for the alpha, but but appease the alpha. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I think that's what I might have got the phraseology no, no, wrong, I, but that's I, where I'm going with it. Yeah, that's where I've taken it because I had a, I had an appeasing of the alpha wolf because on day one of a new school next to a holly bush, they said you're either going to make me laugh or you're going in the holly bush, and I believe I literally wet myself and that made them laugh, and so it sort of oh achieved the God, same thing. That was a little bit uh, a little bit of we came out squit. I can laugh about it now, but I think that, that that sort of bit of spontaneity pulled me through. Um, wow. Awkward. But anyway, related. Yeah. Jesus. Um, yeah, no, we had a holly bush as well. Um, and uh, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I ended up in the holly bush, but I also put other people in the holly bush. So okay. I wasn't quite at the bottom of the pile, if you like. Um, yeah. The I love the idea also of, of, of the, um, the sort of sense um to be able to swim to the middle somewhere so you don't stick out but you don't get exactly invisible. yeah 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 so yeah no that's a really good point that if you if you're too much of a nerd then you kind of stick out in the wrong way and if you kind of try and get too close to the the light if you like then then you're you know like yes. um and by oh. the way, nowadays I've heard and again this is me speaking ute vernacular a nerd right. is called a gorm so oh, right and, oh, very, and I've, I only know that because not because my son is one, but because he's at school of the age now where he's 14, where, you know, if you are a gorm, that's how you stick out in the nerd world. Right. Gosh. OK. No, um, I haven't heard that one yet. But thanks for keeping me up to date uh, in the good, it, with, with the street. Yeah, that's <laughs> good. <laughs> so. So, yeah. So school shaped me a lot. I mean, you know, I've, I've painted a fairly bleak picture there, but it, it the, the word good sides to it too um you know and i um but but yeah i suppose there's just a lot to unpack from from that experience and that has definitely shaped me a lot which is what you ask yes and indeed uh, then reading between the lines is that where the therapy really majored in unpicking some of the school for want of a better word damage that that did and you're trying to unpick that yeah that uh, there's an element of that yeah yeah um yeah i think there is there's there's an element of um not exposing your vulnerability yeah you know and and actually if you don't expose your vulnerability and you keep that hidden and, and kind of squashed down then if you're feeling hurt and you don't express it then it can kind of come out in odd ways and this is what happened to me so the therapy i do is anger management therapy wow. because because if if i'm hurt by something then i i generally just kind of pretend it hasn't happened but it kind of fills up like a bucket and eventually the bucket overflows and it tends unfortunately to overflow it doesn't happen at work because I'm busy being professional it happens at home when I snap at my wife because she has what I don't know you know I, I think of any petty excuse to have an argument and I will have done it you know and my wife will have been left there thinking where did that come from yes so so yeah I'm having to just kind of um, soften up a bit, basically. And I love the notion there of the idea of the dripping tap of overwhelm. It's just a drip, a drip, a drip, but the cup or exactly. the will overflow. So that's very honest of you. So I, I really ad admire you for that. That that's what it what it is there trying to unpick and help you with. Mm. Yeah. So so there's that, and then um, uh, there's my parents obviously shaped me an awful lot, and especially my dad. And again, you know, there's some very positive things about my dad, some, some more negative things as well. But um, but it was his death probably 10 years ago 
um, that, uh, that, that was one of the main catalysts for the depression that I fell into. Um, and uh, I, again, not, not to say too much because, um, you know, it's just more about him than it is about me, but I, I did his eulogy. I, I felt like I should do his eulogy at, at his funeral. And if I'm honest, when I started, I um, I couldn't think of anything positive to say about him, and that sounds awful. Um, but I think I think I was just so angry that he'd gone, you know, and I kind of blamed <laughs> blamed him for dying, which was um, which is obviously a, a, a relatively harsh uh, <laughs> response. But but what what changed that? And, and and I think this is why I wanted to do the UDG was. I started reading some of the cards that had started pouring into my mum and dad's um, home. And so many of them were so, so kind and so positive about him. And the word that kept coming up time and time again was that he was a gentleman, you know, which, which even 10 years ago was quite an old fashioned phrase for people to use. And, but I know what they meant by it. He was very, very, he fought for the underdog. Um, he was a very strong believer in justice um and 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 fairness and what and things being done right you know and uh, and so reading what other people had written about him gave me the kind of tools to start to talk about my relationship with my dad a bit more and, and what he meant to me so external perspective gave you more of a sense of i suppose balance and the middle ground between your own exactly. anger and what others thought um, exactly yeah yeah i mean the issue was that my dad died of lifestyle illnesses um diabetes high blood pressure that kind of thing and so I, I i kind of blamed him for that and and yet it's clear to me now looking back that he had his own demons if you like to deal with and how old so, was he if you don't mind me asking and no, i'm just no, interested in your own parallel universe and how old you are now and comparatively and... well he was 62 when he died which is not old in my view certainly not nowadays in in the uk um he had his first heart attack when he was 46. Crikey. Yeah. So, so I'm 42 now. Um, and so, yeah, I, um, th there's a lot there still to deal with. He was a very complicated man and our relationship was very complicated. But just as with my school, I got lots and lots of positive things out of there but also some negative ones as well. That, that, that and also it. reading between the lines, are you an only child or have you got siblings that also went to university, sorry, to, to boarding school as well? Uh, well, it wasn't a boarding school. It was a day school, but um, no, no, it's fine. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I have a younger brother who's two and a half years younger than me, um, who also had a very bad time at that school. Um, and yeah, um, actually, sorry, maybe we should edit that bit out that's not that's not fair that's that's for him to for him to say but um yeah there we go anyway you're sure okay that's probably my fault for digging a bit deeper there just into into whether you were an only child in experiencing the adversity of school or not sure mm. sure okay um still in the shapages of what shaped you and thank you for being so searingly honest by the way this is really fascinating oh that's okay well the last one is maybe a bit more positive one it's uh, my family history shaped me a lot so um uh, like like most families, every so often that somebody will, especially a retired person, will uh, get a bit of a bee in their bonnet and they'll do some digging. They'll do kind of like, who do you think you are sort of version. And um, on 
our family, so part of my family is Greek Cypriots. So there's some very interesting stuff on, around there. Um, but the side of my family that fascinates me quite a lot is the Welsh side of my family. Um, so my mum speaks Welsh. She is Welsh, basically. Um, and uh, we, we, we dug into the Welsh side of the family. And they, they start out in, um, in a place in Cornwall, actually, um, as copper miners in a place called Skinner's Bottom, which uh, appealed to me immensely. <laughs> um, and but then they moved you know they they moved from Cornwall to South Wales so coal mining in South Wales and then they moved again up to Flintshire for the, the slate mines in, in Flintshire you sound like the original Poldarks or something like that in tin, <laughs> yeah mining, but copper mining <laughs> that's it yeah well um yeah but I don't look quite as good with my top off unfortunately <laughs> um but yeah other than that it's pretty much the same story and um, but what I liked about it, what I liked about that story was that because I grew up, um, like I say, on the Wirral, where um, where I went to a private school, it's very hard to fit in. You're not really from. I'm not really from anywhere. I mean, I could say I'm from the Wirral, but you can hear from my accent that, you know, the first thing people say, you know, I said, where are you from? And I say Liverpool because it's easier. People know where Liverpool is. First thing everybody says without fail. Oh, you haven't got an accent. <laughs> and of course, of course, I don't. Um, but I, nevertheless, I was born and brought up there. But um, so I, was, I, I didn't really feel like I belonged anywhere. And then and then I was chatting to my mum about this, saying, well, the family, they're, they're going this way, that way. They're going all over the place. And she said, well, yeah, that's what our family does. And suddenly I realised where I did belong, which was with my family, always oh. moving. But but as part of this kind of great history, you know, going back hundreds of years of our family kind of doing that thing, moving from, from Cyprus, from Wales, from Cornwall, wherever. And when you said going this way, that way, I think we were going to go over the Irish Sea a little this way, that way forwards and backwards over the... <laughs> yeah, I, probably. I, I love the constancy that you described. The family moves a lot, but there's a constancy of family. And indeed, mm. the constancy is your, of your family. You've been very generous towards, you know, how you've had help from your partner, particularly, you know, your wife through your depression and everything. So there's a constancy, which I think you're returning to in terms of family. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's that's. Um, it sounds cheesy, but it. I, and, I, and I suppose, you know, how close am I to my family? You know, I see some of them, probably not as close as some families are, but I do have that real sense of being, um, I guess, part of a dynasty in a sense. It's not not like a formal dynasty with with portraits and, and a grand crumbling manner or anything, but it's, you know, I, there's a history there. It's yes. my history. And, and I feel embedded in it, which is which is a lovely feeling. It feels comforting. And it's lovely that there is a sense of belonging in that. You're at the heart of something, which is lovely too. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's good to have that. And um, I would like to, you know, maybe when I'm older and I have a bit more time, I would like to do a bit more digging on, on that side of things and find out a bit more about my relatives. So I think we've come to the end of the shapages and now we're going to think about, mm. and if there's any overlap, don't worry about that either, but um, thing, three things that inspire you now. Yeah, well, I think going back to what I was saying um, when, when we started talking about Knock Knock, something that really inspires me is the energy I get off other people. So if, if I'm just sat by myself, I, um, I suppose I have a tendency, if I'm not careful, to kind of, start to circle downwards you know and and the way you know so my wife and I had this is a source of tension for quite some time 
before we suddenly realised what the issue was. So my wife likes to relax by sitting on the sofa. She may have a glass of wine. I, she may not. I'm not going to kind of um, put that uh, stereotype out there. And she watches whatever she wants to watch without me tutting about how shit it is. Sorry, can we swear? Is that all right? That's fine. <laughs> we can't. That's pretty fine. Not a worry. Um, so, so yeah, she um, she watches whatever she wants to watch without me tutting and puffing and and being generally annoying to her. And I, when I want to relax, I go out with my friends. I'm not talking about going mental. I, I'm just talking about talking and go out and. And so for a while, when we both wanted to relax, I was like, well, why don't we go out? Let's do something. She's like, oh, I don't really want to. And I get really frustrated with her. And similarly, she was like, well, you're supposed to be tired. Why on earth would you want to go out? Because that's exhausting to her. To, to speak to people for that long is exhausting. Whereas for me, it recharges my batteries. And then one day, we I don't know how we came across it, we suddenly realised that this is what the issue was. You're both trying like, to relax, well, but in a different way, yes. Exactly right. So yeah. so the energy is, you know, the relaxation, the energy from other people, just hearing about what we're doing. And I, I think that's part of the reason for the podcast is actually it's just me getting my fix. I, I talk to people and, and I'm allowed to ask questions. I'm allowed to be a bit nosy because of the setup there. You know, they've agreed. And obviously I'm not going to kind of, you know, I'm not a, a, a tabloid journalist. I'm not going to kind of dig and dig. But I'm, I'm just like, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. And there's, I get the energy off it. And there's a definite synergy in both of our desire to do that. It's about your version of giving somebody a good listening to is for the serendipity side. And mine is, you know, it came about because I love coaching being about giving somebody mm. a good listening to so that they're all related. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I, I think really the, the podcast I do is is about me learning as much as anything else. You know, I'm I'm, as you say, I'm kind of just at a, at a, at a a point in my career where I'm not quite sure where I'm going. I'm setting up my own company. That might work. It might not. Who knows? Um, but what I'm finding is that um, is that a lot of the people that I've spoken to on my podcast all had nuggets of information like, oh, God, that's good. That's really useful. And so for me, yeah, it's, it's as much about learning from my own point of view as anything else. Um, and so, yeah, by the way, as you know, I'm sure you know, is a, is a wonderfully... Um, well, it's it's, a, it's an age of transition. I know this with hindsight, but the, oh. the, the company I, you know, co-run, Second Curve, is this idea we're all on a curve or a trajectory, but as your curve wanes, what do you do to attach to your second curve? And 40, you know, the beginnings of a decade or towards the end of a decade, or indeed in the middle of a decade, you can always identify why you might be feeling a bit meh and what's next mm. is what's really profound. So the fact you're being really brave in working out what to do next is, is a wonderful, uh, emotionally intelligent way to connect to your next curve, whatever that's going to be. Yes. Well, this is it, you see. You know, this is the concept that you came up with when I was interviewing you. And I thought, oh, that's good. I, I love that. You know, and it, it goes in, in the brain. And yeah, the idea of a second curve, I love that. Um, yeah, because I definitely felt that my previous role, much as I enjoyed it, was, was kind of running out of steam a bit. You know, my curve was going a bit flat there. Yes, and it was time to kind of maybe reinvigorate and try something new. But I didn't know what that new was yet. You know, still not sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so other things that inspire me. I'm, these are a bit maybe less less interesting um, or less kind of emotionally deep. But I, um, I, I, I get very inspired by by new technologies, and I love the new. And um, I'm, I'm kind of less interested in, in status technologies, you know, so, 
somebody produces a new pair of trainers or, or a new iPhone. I'm like, yeah, okay. But, but something really clever and interesting and new. So I remember the first time that I saw an iPod. So uh, one of my friends who works in, you know, he works in tech. He was like, it's been out for three weeks in Japan. Where's yours? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, which is a quote from, um, oh dear, uh, Nathan Barley. So he's, my friend is not as much of a dickhead as Nathan Barley. Anyway, um, he, but he said, look, this is this new thing. And I, and I picked it up and it was so beautiful, so beautifully designed. And I could use it instantly. Wow, yes. And I thought, Wow. And I even said to him, this is incredible. I, so I'm miming the thumb going round on the iPod for those who remember yeah, yeah. it. Such a beautiful invention. Now, I, you know, as an environmentalist, I, I kind of, oh, my God, you know, all this kind of tech and waste electronic equipment. But I can't help myself. I just love the ingenuity that's gone into something like that. And even recently, um, no, it can't have been recently because it must have been pre-COVID. I went to a conference in Telford. And I made sure that I stayed in a little uh, B&B in a place called Ironbridge. And Ironbridge, for those who, who don't know, is essentially seen as the birthplace of the Industrial Revolution. And it's named after the first that was built across the River Seven there. And it was easy to be there. And again, the environmentalists, the Industrial Revolution is a harbinger of utter damage to the environment. But yet the ingenuity and the beauty of this structure still there after 250 odd years. Although your sound cut out just yeah. as you were saying it, it commemorates, well, Ironbridge is where the first iron bridge was industrially constructed. Is that what you said? Yes. Sorry. Yeah. So Ironbridge is, a, no, no, is, the, is the place where literally the first iron bridge was, was built. And um, like I say, yeah, it's the birthplace of the Industrial Revolution for mo most historians anyway. I think you could probably make an argument for Cornwall. But, uh, I remember it because of my period in history, you know, back at school, doing the Industrial Revolution. Of course. So, of course. <laughs> we, I did the French Revolution to the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, it was. So it was all 1789 to 1850, I think, was my period. <laughs> oh, right. Gosh, that's very specific, isn't it? Yeah. OK. Um, fascinating time, though. But, I mean, that brings me to my, my other kind of inspiration, which is maybe kind of, maybe it's a bit too connected, but I love beautiful architecture. I love beautiful buildings. And I remember I was walking back from, from um, a night out in Bristol, which is where I went to university and where I lived for a long time as well. And as you know, it's uh, an amazing city. And I was walking um, through a kind of place up in Clifton, which is kind of better off part of, of the city. And I said to a friend of mine, you know, kind of relatively drunkenly, I said, God, you know, you're looking at these beautiful buildings. So they're a bit like the kind of uh, sandstone, beautiful Cotswold sandstone buildings that you get in, in Bath. And, um, and I said, God, don't you just get a feeling of peace and contentment? And he looked at me like I was completely mad. He said, it's, it's just some houses. And I was like, no, no, it's not. And and I get that a lot. Um, even in my dreams, I get dreams about amazing complex architecture that's not there, you know. And um, and I love it. I love what people can do. I love that, um, that the buildings give you a soul chime, whereas your friend was completely oblivious to that. I love that. I didn't get it. Yeah, yeah, a soul chime. That's great. Yeah, it was a soul chime. And I couldn't explain that feeling to him. I was, I was just saying, I just feel really at peace here. I need to lick this bridge. Like this. Is yeah, yeah, <laughs> I need to definitely kind of, rub my hands over it and of course it belongs to somebody else so that's not allowed but I was like 
this is this is feels great and you're right he it, he had no idea what i was talking about <laughs> <laughs> there you go anyway maybe maybe a lot of people don't but the soul chime idea i've come across that but i've forgotten about it yeah that was exactly what it was we could now be at the two things that never fail to grab your attention if i'm getting my maths right in a construct mm. I'm writing you through so what are your squirrels that never fail to get matt george's attention <laughs> well well there's two um uh, well, because that's what you asked me to produce. So there's two. Uh, one is one is a bit more uh, deeper than the other. But I'll start with the shallower one, which is that um, living in Britain, um, I'll tell you what really grabs my attention is when when the sun shines, especially if it's a rainy day. And then you, you know how it is when 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 the, the clouds pass over and the sun shines, and everyone's like, oh. <laughs> you know, I'm, it's not just me. This is a very British thing that, ever, as though as though we've never seen it before. Oh, <laughs> y- yeah. And then you may, I might go outside. I might, I might do that actually. And it's like, oh, there's a bit of sunshine. So I love getting that. And I know it's a cliche, but I'm looking out the window now, Chris, and it is great. Um, have you ever seen cloudy with a chance of meatballs? No, uh, it's been on in the background when I've walked through. I probably need to go and watch it, don't I? It's great. It's very, very well done. And there's there's a bit, hopefully, spoiler alert here, but hopefully it's not too bad. Um, right at the end, whatever um, kind of dread cloud has, has enveloped the earth is, is sucked back into the machine. And so they show all these kind of landmark places like, you know, the Eiffel Tower or the Taj Mahal or, or New York or whatever. And then they do the Houses of Parliament and this and uh, this this orange cloud disappears, and underneath it is just a grey cloud. And I thought that was spot on. You know, for an American comedy, that was perfect. Um, so yeah, that's that's one thing that I always grabs my attention. If a grey day and suddenly you get a ray of sunshine, that's lovely. Um, and the other one is um, I've, I've got very um, interested in random acts of kindness, and. There's two that, that, so the basis of this has been what, what floats to the top of my brain soup, if you like. And, and there's two incidents that, that kind of bubble to the top. And one is years and years ago, I worked in, um, in a, a company that was based in Brixton. And Brixton wasn't as bad as it had been, but it wasn't as trendy as it is now. It was kind of somewhere rough around the edges in between. And there's a big uh, road junction there. And... Um, and a police car was driving across there. And what had been happening, the traffic had been kind of going around. Somebody had just left half the front of their car in the middle of this, this <laughs> traffic. Like it was the bumper, but also with extra bits. And it was just kind of there in the middle of the road. And everyone had just been driving around it and, and just kind of causing all sorts of chaos. And this, um, this, this police car kind of pulled over. And then this copper got out and he kind of, picked his way through the traffic, picked this thing up and just put it on the, the side of the road. And I thought to myself, it sounds small, doesn't it? But I thought to myself, you didn't have to do that. It's not your job to do that. You're a policeman in Brixton. You know, your job is to kind of avoid being stabbed. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But he, he didn't. He, you know, this was a small thing. It didn't take him long. And it, and it, anyone could have done it, but he did it. Yes. And and it, it just improved things for everybody else. So he was and a pillar so, of the community as the, as the police should be. As the police should be. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I appreciate there's some, you know, I don't want to particularly go down this road, but, you know, I'm I'm white and 
um, I'm looking at the police in a particularly privileged way that maybe many other residents of Brixton then and now don't. But I, and I get that. But the act itself, it could have, it happened to be a copper who did it. It could have been anybody. It was the fact you don't have to do that, but you do it. And it makes things better for everyone else. By the way, what goes around comes around. There was a previous uh, guest here on the podcast whose episode's not gone live yet, a chap called Johnny Cooper. And he'll resonate when he listens to this. His moment of giving up being a musician to do what's next was when his car just packed up at some traffic lights. And he called for a mate in a van who basically decanted all the crap in the back of the car and then went off leaving the car dead at the traffic lights. So it could be the same person. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Goes, I'd love that. Yeah. Could have been Johnny that, Cooper. Oh, bless him. Maybe it was Johnny Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, um, and then the second time, so this, you know, that, that made an impression. And from then on, I was like, oh, you know, I could do that kind of thing. It's very easy. It doesn't take any time or effort. And then years later, I was... Um, I was with some, uh, a colleague at the Environment Agency and I'd been tasked with finding out, actually I tasked myself because I couldn't work it out, where does information go inside this enormous organisation? <laughs> like like, um, like a, a flow of water that in, in you know, those um, sandcastle areas that kids have and, and, and you can kind of, in, in parks and you can pump the water out oh yes and then and then the kids can kind of make dams and stuff like that and the water just goes everywhere well that's what data seemed to do to me in the environment i was like where is it where's it going anyway i thought well let's start at the bottom let's start with where um where it comes from so i went out with um some a lady who collected water sampling data so and that's literally chucking a bucket in a lake and then pulling it in and putting it in anyway we're driving along and a um she stopped suddenly and she was like, won't be a minute. And she gets out. And the next thing I can see, she's jumped over a, a fence and she's kind of wrestling the sheep. She's, oh. she's kind of got, right up, I guess. And then um, the sheep struggles for a bit and then runs off. And then she gets back in and kind of wipes her hands and, and off she goes. And we're driving again. I said, I'm sorry, what, uh, what, what just happened there? <laughs> and she said, oh, that, she said, bloody sheep. And this was in Somerset. She's bloody sheep. You know, they, they're always falling into the ditch and they can't get out because they fall onto their backs. Ah. And then they're, they're like turtles. They're just stuck. And I was like, so what? You you lifted a, a fully grown sheep out of a farmer's ditch. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, otherwise, what? Well, you know, it can drown or whatever. And I was like, well, do you know the farmer? She's like, no. Love that. And I said, why would you? I said, that. I said not like, why, why would you do that? But it's more like why would you do that exactly and she said well why wouldn't i do that that's my job yes. and it's, it's again and i was like that farmer will never know you know and, and it's great thing to lovely. put onto your cv a professional sheep wrestler <laughs> yeah sheep wrangler sheep that's wrangler, good isn't it mm. wonderful stuff um by the way i'm gonna i have to curate the journey of this for the UK Health Radio bit, uh, I've got about three minutes to go, but stay on because we'll do a postscript, which I can put into the Buzzsprout. So forgive me if I get a slight lick on to get this bit up. Uh, so okay. um, can I have a quick, quirky or unusual fact about you we couldn't possibly know until you tell us? Um, it was me that broke the toaster uh, when I was a kid. Um, and I broke it with a hammer because it was burning the toast and my dad wouldn't replace it. And, and I knew the only thing to do was to actually physically break the toaster so he would replace it. And I'm really sorry about that. But it was just burning all our toast. Everybody knew it was a problem. And I'm so happy that this is the moment you confess in the sunshine to being the one who broke. It feels the great. And your, your dad has died. So there's not much recourse. <laughs> just to say. But I like the courage of 
naming the day. Today is yeah. the day when you finally fessed up. Um, so uh, again, forgive me for going slightly quick. We will come back to this. But alchemy and gold. Now, when you're at purpose and inflow, what are you happiest doing? Uh, so two things. I I love talking to people. That's that's where the time disappears. But there's another, and it's when I'm doing spreadsheets. I'm oh. doing a really good spreadsheet model. The time can fly by. And there's nothing in between. There's just those two. And I know you've written an essay because I was researching on economics of flood insurance. So that must have involved quite a few databases. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Oh, yes. Now, listen, we've, we've got to get a lick on because of the length of this conversation. Again, there is a postscript coming. So if you're listening on UK Health Radio, if you want to hear extra, extra bits, go to the pod, uh, the Buzzsprout version of this straight afterwards. But um, when all is said and done, um, Matt Georges, how do you most like to be remembered? I'm just going to skip the cake just for a moment. Yeah, sure. Well, I'll, I'll just give you a quote that I really agree with from a guy, Paul Eddington, who you may know as Jim Hacker in Yes Minister. Yeah. And he said, um, he said of his epitaph, I think I would like my epitaph to be he did very little harm. And I think that I, I love that. And that I'd go for that as well. Matt George's he did very little harm. I love that. Um, th- this is sort of a bit of a false ending, uh, but in terms of curating this part of the journey, um, Captain's Log Supplemental to be continued within Buzzsprout. But ladies and gentlemen, here on UK Health Radio and in the Buzzsprout, this is uh, Matt George's. Um, thank you so much for joining me here on the Good Listening To Show, your life and times with me, Chris Grimes. Anything else you'd like to say? It's been a pleasure. And just for now, stay posted. Good night. Oh, yes. So welcome back. This is now Captain's Log Supplemental with Matt George's <laughs> environmental economist. Um, I got a slight lick on in order to make sure that because I'm not very good at editing, I had the UK Health Radio version of this wrapped up like a beauty with a bow on at the right <laughs> length, I think. But now it allows us a little bit more freedom to just make sure that we give the oxygen that could be justified and, and will be justified in me just taking you back slightly in the process. So you've just ended up on legacy and how you'd most like to be remembered. Um, just remind us of that lovely quote again. Well, I'll give you the full quote this time. And um, so this is from Paul Eddington, who played, uh, obviously he did lots of things, but he's well known for playing Jim Hacker in Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister. Which he was also the madness of George III, wasn't he? The, that was his most famous film part. That's right. And he was in the Chamomile Lawn. Nicknamed yes. the Chamomile Porn by uh, the tablets, apparently. <laughs> okay. um, so I've not seen it, much to my uh, chagrin. But anyway, uh, so Paul Eddington, uh, he was asked what he'd like his epitaph to be, and this is what he said. I think I would like it to be he did very little harm, and that's not easy. Most people seem to me to do a great deal of harm. If I could be remembered as having done very little, that would suit me. And I just thought that is such a gentle... Kind. I'm actually being very emotional about it because um, my dad told me that. He told me that Paul Leddington had said that. And it's such a lovely, lovely quote. And, um, and I think it's, uh, it, we, we, yeah, if I, can, if I can do something like that, if I can be remembered for that, that would be me as well. I love that. Thank you. And just to go a little bit back into uh, just post Alchemy and Gold, I want to award mm. you with a cake for gracing us with your presence here in the Good Listening To show. Do you like cake, Matt George's? I do. I'll eat pretty much any cake you put in front of me, Chris. So you get to choose your own cake. And, and rather oh. sadly, this is only a metaphorical cake. Oh. We can describe okay. it and both agree to salivate and go nom, 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 nom. So what would your cake of choice be? Well, my kids have taken to, um, they've started their own tradition, which is to make me a Rocky Road cake. Um, but it's become more than a rocky road. It's essentially 
an enormous bag of variety sweets poured <laughs> into melted chocolate and biscuit and then presented to me at 6 a.m. in bed. And the tradition is that you have to have it in bed at 6 a.m. when the kids wake up. It's a and rocky that, road. <laughs> yeah, an enormous rocky road, please. Yes, you can. I love that. So within your enormous rocky road, then, <laughs> that this is where we get to, there's enough sweets in there already, but you're now going to get mm. a glacé cherry to put on the cake as well. Which you've ruined it, I should say. I, do you I like glacé cherries, Chris? No, I don't really like um, some of the pick and mix sweets you're describing as well. That I wouldn't okay. like. Um, the, the chocolate bit I like. Um, and I'm not going to say I'd like to be in bed next to you when it's delivered. I wasn't saying that either. But I it's understand. Part of the rocky road. So it's all a rocky road if you think <laughs> about it. Uh, so, yes, this is now uh, the, the multi-layered rocky road cake with all of its texture. So what advice might you give to a younger version of yourself? Now mm. you're a 42 year old, even wiser person than when you first started out is one answer you can give if you like. And then what could be a favorite quote that's always given you sucker and pulled you towards your future? which may or may not be different to the wonderful Paul Eddington legacy quote you've given us. Mm. And um, this is where the Shakespeare comes in. All the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. You've already given us this wonderful bit, which is, um, you know, doing as little harm as possible. But it's what else you wanted to say, as I've got you here in the clearing, with what words of wisdom you'd like to share to, to imbibe your cake. Oh, gosh. Well, I've, I've got two. So I've got um, a little bit of advice for the younger me. Um and uh and then a, an, an inspirational quote but it's it's not quite a quote it's it, it's a very short poem if that's okay chris yes please okay all right right well so the advice for the younger me um i think this is something that i've learned from the people that i've interviewed in my podcast it's something i've learned from you and from others is is to really focus on on the things that you enjoy and but there's more to it than that because the things you enjoy, I think, are the things that you're good at. And even more than that, the things you're good at are, are useful. So, for example, it, one thing I enjoy is talking a lot to people. And, and I'm good at it. I, I can fill hours if, if, <laughs> uh, if I'm allowed to. But, but I never thought of it as useful. But it is useful. And, and the reason it's useful is because I'm setting up my own business now. And lo and behold, what's really good when you're setting up your own business is to get in touch with people and talk to them and say, what are you up to? Um, this is what I'm doing. Maybe, maybe something can come of this. And maybe it will, maybe it won't. But the conversation itself is a value for in and of itself, let alone that something might come of it. And so I think that would be the advice to the younger me is to, is to, to follow the things that you enjoy and to value the things that you, you enjoy. Because if you enjoy them and you're good at them, you'll find a use for them. And... I love the fact you dip into your adoration of liking talking to actually then amplify it and have the courage to talk to people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, there's something about um, just putting the, the word podcast on there that gives me license to do what I would love to do anyway, but maybe feel a bit kind of um, English about, you know, feel a bit buttoned up about. Because it's a podcast, I can just ask questions. And... And this is what started happening is I almost what I found is that I'm now starting to talk to random people and I get into podcast mode and I just ask them about their life. And, um, oh, that's interesting. Tell me a bit more about it. 
it's funny. I, I it's, it's given me permission to do what I've always liked doing anyway, which is to be really nosy. And again, I find that really relatable, obviously, because of the good listening to being exactly mm. about that. So, so I'm glad that we both found that conduit and outlet for ourselves. Uh, and you know, I, I sincerely, from one podcaster to another, I'd really like to encourage you to keep going because I thought you held the serendipity soup space, you know, just a, a wonderfully inquisitive space about <laughs> some of the choices that, you know, your guest has made to get to where they are now, knowing that life is this big wicked mess to get to that point. Yeah, the wicked mess, the idea of the spaghetti was great, Chris, because it is, isn't it? And more importantly, you know, you were talking, you can look back on your life and you say, oh, God, it's, it's all a bit of a mess, but I found my way through it. And but then when we plan things, you're thinking, oh, well, it's a pretty straight line. I've got this plan. And of course, as you said, it's just another wicked mess in front of you. It's a whole bit of spaghetti there, too. And Delta before and there's a delta afterwards. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So and, and again, you know, very, very helpful concept for me, especially now, you know, when, when things are so. And being an flat. environmentalist, it's a bit like, you know, obviously the delta is a bit like having a sort of uncontrollable floodplain. You can't necessarily control where the water is going to flow in your life, really. Exactly. No, exactly. The river delta is a great, great um uh analogy for it because you can't control it and maybe maybe you shouldn't either maybe you should just kind of go with it a bit more there's also in the last day or so a graph a really lovely very simple quite rustic drawing that i found on linkedin which is about a very very small very small small staircase which is a bit like a stairway to heaven but it's not but it just goes on forever but then the graph rather powerfully is time progress and by the time you reach the top, it's been very small steps, but a big change. Mm. And so it is. A, and, and I think I mentioned this in the podcast with you as well. That lovely quote, the difference in life between what you want and what you get is what you do. So it's, it is the action mm. towards. Yeah, yeah, very much. And um, I think actually that's, um, albeit unconsciously, is an excellent segue to my, my, my poem. Um, so, so this is something that I, I have quoted this to two people on occasion, which makes me look like a very pretentious uh, individual. But um, I, I, I love it. And if I read it and then explain why I love it, maybe is that OK? The, the floor is yours. Please go wherever you okay. like with it. All right. Well, I'm just going to switch to um, to another uh, window on my screen, but I'll, I'll read it out. Um, so it's called, um, and again, I, I shouldn't have chosen this because I'm, I'm not sure of the pronunciation. So, so forgive me um, if you end up with loads of tweets from people annoyed <laughs> that I've mangled the English language. But it's called um, Ozymandias by Percy Bysshe Shelley. By Bish? Bish? Percy Bysshe Shelley. Yes, Bish. Bish. I think it's Bish, but who's yeah. Bish? Bosh. <laughs> <laughs> and it might be Ozymandias. It might be Ozymandias. Who knows? Anyway, so it goes like this. Uh, I met a traveller from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless lakes of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. And I absolutely love that. 
for a couple of reasons. Now, obviously, it can seem a bit bleak, but I don't view it that way necessarily. I think I think there's two things that I draw from that. One is um, so Ozymandias is um, uh, another name for Ramesses II, who built the Great Pyramid of Giza. I think this is right. Could be wrong. Anyway, he he did a whole load of stuff, and uh, I I think it's it's helpful to know that even when we're in the grip of an awful lot of very unpleasant people, which we are right now on, on, on this planet, their time will come and it will go, you know? Um, and and it's, it's helpful to know that, I think, that to, to, to get that, that bigger sense of perspective, yes. to take that, the zoom out and say, yes, this is not great right now, but these things come and go, this too should pass. And I think the other aspect to it is, is, is that it teaches humility, you know, and, um, and I think humans could do with a lot more of that right now. As an environmentalist, you'd probably expect me to say that, but, um, you know, it's, um, it, it would be very, it, it would not be beyond the bounds of possibility that in a thousand years time, a future Percy by fish, by Bosch, Shelley, will uh, be, be saying something similar about I don't know um, you know they'll found some you know the uh, the Lincoln Memorial or, or or the Shard or something and they'll be saying you know because that's what we're doing you know we look on our works you mighty in despair and yeah or, or Mount Rushmore or whatever it might be yes because I, exactly. I was reading something about bleak about the genesis of that today as well interestingly there are a lot of really crap things going on absolutely yeah. And so I, I appreciate that it maybe inspiring isn't quite the right word, but but there's something calming about it. The idea that all this this too shall pass, I suppose you could yes. call it down to. Yeah. There's a constancy to Mother Nature that she will win in the end, she will out, she will survive in the end. Yeah. And and this is the main this is one of the main points that, you know, um, people who work on climate change, as I've done for my entire career say it's that you know it's not the end of the planet the planet will be fine uh, it's the end of civilization if we're not careful just a couple of days ago within the good listening to podcast group there was a lovely poem similar uh, which i don't necessarily have to read but it's called the moment by margaret atwood oh yeah um which is very similar to the ozymandias construct and um, if while we're here if you like i just i haven't planned to do this but this is just something to play back into the space mm-hmm. but it's about the you know the the, the temporary nature of everything and uh, the, the poem with a terrible first reading is uh, The Moment by Margaret Atwood. The moment when, after many years of hard work and a long voyage, you stand in the centre of your room, house, half acre, square mile, island, country, knowing at last how you got there and say, I own this, is the same moment when the trees unloose their soft arms from around you, the birds take back their language, the cliffs fissure and collapse, The air moves back from you like a wave and you can't breathe. No, they whisper, you own nothing. You were a visitor, time after time, climbing the hill, planting the flag, proclaiming, we never belonged to you, you never found us. It was always the other way round. Mm. Which is a very very similar similar resonance to the... um, I didn't know we were going to do a poetry corner, so thank you for that. (laughs) No, no, it's been it's been great. But yeah, I've I've only obviously come across Margaret Atwood. Obviously, the the Handmaid's Tale and and um, and uh, uh, 
um, a couple of other books that she's read. Um, Mad Adam was, was another one. She has a, 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 a quite a post-apocalyptic bent to yes. her writing, doesn't she? And and that comes across so well in that poem because and and it's so true. You know, it's um, yeah. Uh, well, I can't say it better than she could, let's be honest. <laughs> but thank you for the Aussie. That you've really reminded me of that poem as well. That's really wonderful, the Ozymandias. Uh, by Percy Bish, we're agreeing Shelley. We're going to go with Bish, I think, yeah. And if you want to go with Bish, Bash or Bosch, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, um, Matt Georges, this has been your moment in the sunshine here in the Good Listening To podcast. Um, as this is your moment in the sunshine, uh, is there anything else you'd like to say? Well, it, it's it's tremendously self-indulgent to talk about yourself for, for, for as long as I have. And, and I, I very much appreciate the opportunity, Chris. Thank you. Um, I guess if people are interested... Uh, you know, come on over to Serendipity Soup. It's on all the podcast apps and um, uh, it's on LinkedIn as well. Um, and yeah, I suppose I should probably, I'd be letting myself down if I didn't say, if you're interested in, in, in the market for any applied economics, then Orbital Applied Economics is me. <laughs> Orbital Applied Economics. And is that going to have its .co.uk or .com attached it's to It's a .com, yeah. OrbitalEconomics.com. And what's the main raison d'etre, as we've got you here in the sunshine, what's orbitaleconomics.com going to do? Well, um, what I spend a lot of my time doing is trying to demystify economics. Um, it, it's like the priesthood in, in the sense that it's, it's the, the, there's Latin that is used to mystify and, and, and discombobulate people. And uh, really, it's not as difficult as economists make out so i'm there to simplify economics and to apply it in a sensible evidence-based way and i love the word discombobulated if that's not on your website i suggest you put it in sir it's good it's not but i will thank you demystifying and de-discombobulating de-discombobulating disestablishmentarianism anti-disestablishmentarianism yeah we're heading that way yeah yeah first guest ever to use that that is is that still the longest no it's flocky pocky nahili pilification is the longest word isn't it it is i was thinking anyway la 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 (laughs) thank you very much for taking the time it's been a real real pleasure and a delight to talk to you and thank you for staying for the postscript as well um Thank you very much indeed. You've been listening to uh, me, Chris Grimes. This has been the lovely Matt Georges and long may our lives interweave in a serendipitous, soupy way. Speak to you soon. Bye. Take care, Chris. Bye. So, Matt, thank you very much. You've just been given a damn good listening to here in the good listening to your life and times with me, Chris Grimes. Clearing. Could I just ask for your immediate feedback on what that was like to be here? Uh, it felt good. It, it's nice to have a damn good listening to. Um, uh... Like I say, I do feel quite self-indulgent. It's it's um, it's not often you get to talk to somebody for an hour about yourself and that they listen attentively, like it matters. It's a very strange <laughs> feeling, <laughs> um, but but lovely and um, nice to get some some things out there. Lovely and thank you. It was it was deliciously, searingly honest and authentic, and and you know you went to some really rich scenes there. Uh, and so thank you very much indeed for your, your candid disclosure. It was lovely. No, that's OK. I, I, as you know, Chris, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that, that if people talk more about mental health, then they will. I think it's not just talking about it. It's what you do with that knowledge. And, and the key thing for me is, is, is to know when you need to seek help. And I didn't know that. And that made things worse. So um, I suppose I would say if anybody's still listening to the post, 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 post script, 
Um, then, you know, if you are getting snappy, if you're if you're feeling um, that you're reacting in kind of over the top way to very small things, then that is your body, your mind telling you that you are heading down quite a dark path. So it's a great idea to um, take some time out, speak to a therapist, speak to your GP, um, go to Mind website. They've got some great advice there. Um, or find somebody, you know, who, who you can talk to and who will listen to you and, and you can talk, talk through some of those issues that are underlying. So the issue might look like it's about the washing up. It's not about the washing up. It's about something much deeper. And it is a journey. I get that. And uh, you, you seem to me on an even keel. And would, would you say that is the case or how are you feeling? Um, it depends what day you, you, you get me on. I've, um, um, launching your own business is, is a real roller coaster. And if you'd spoken to me a week ago, um, you'd have got a different, different version of me for sure. Today, I'm feeling quite buzzy because a few things have gone right. I'm, I'm, I'm had the pleasure of speaking to you so it's great but i think the key thing isn't isn't to avoid those times it's it's to learn how to manage them it's it's to work and you know this chris as well as anybody that you can't avoid the sadness nor should you but it's about that sadness not turning into something deeper and darker and, and yes. cycling downwards it's about kind of sitting with it acknowledging it and then hopefully moving on because things will change and and you'll, you'll come out of it and thank you for sharing those insights. And, you know, I perceive you as being profoundly emotionally intelligent in your um, ability to find your way of navigating, even though it's not about fixing, it's about just learning to understand and appreciate oneself in, mm. in the totally idiosyncratic way that we all navigate differently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a key thing. It's not about fixing. It's about um, just working with the grain of who you are and what you've got. Which reminds me full circle of the Monty Python. We're all individuals. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> we are all individuals and we're all we're all navigating our own wicked messes independently and individually. Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I'll let you know, I'll, I'll even put this post post postscript into the Buzzsprout because I can. So thank you very much <laughs> indeed, Matt Georges, and a real pleasure talking to you. You too, Chris. See you soon. Bye. You've been listening to the Good Listening To show here on UK Health Radio with me, Chris Grimes. Oh, it's my son. If you've enjoyed the show, then please do tune in next week to listen to more stories from The Clearing. If you'd like to connect with me on LinkedIn, then please do so. There's also a dedicated Facebook group for the show, too. You can contact me about the programme, or if you'd be interested in experiencing some personal impact coaching with me, care of my Level Up Your Impact programme, that's chris at secondcurve.uk. On Twitter and Instagram, it's... At that Chris Grimes. So until next time, from me, Chris Grimes, from UK Health Radio, and from Stan... To your good health. And goodbye.